Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. It's an interesting Sunday and I was thinking of what to share because uh, I, I shared on... Um, healing spiritual blindness two weeks ago and then I wanted to to build that up to Christmas and then we had a guest so that broke the rhythm a bit but I think what he shared Marcus last week really fits in well with where we are and where we're going and then I had this idea about um, just some of the weirdness of Christianity like who knows we're a little weird Amen. <laughs> we get so used to it often that we, we, we don't always know it. But if you think about some of the things that we, that we say, our lingo, or some of the things we pray, or some of the things we, 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 we think we understand and, and we talk about, I can, I can see why other people look at us and like, you're a little bit weird. You're a little bit honest. And we should be. We're a peculiar people. Amen. We are not of the world. The world will not understand us because we are spiritual. But in that sense, then there's some things, if, if something is a bit weird or I don't understand it completely, then I try to think about it, Lord, is this spiritual? Or Lord, what is the spiritual truth in this? Okay, because I don't know if it's going to be weird and different. Because Paul says he became all things to all people so that he could win some. So we don't want to be weird and off-putting. We want to be inclusive. We want to draw people in. Because Jesus said that the sinners and the publicans draw near to hear Jesus. Meaning there was life where Jesus was, and the people who didn't understand what, what religion was about wanted to hear what Jesus said, or what Jesus had to say. They wanted to be close to Him. And I want to be like that. I want to, people who, who are outside of church to draw near to me. So then I need to say, okay, but am I making that possible, or am I making that unnecessarily difficult? And you can think for yourself as well. But one of the things that's a bit weird <coughs> is the blood of Christ. I don't know if you can, like, we, 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 I pray the blood over you. Really? I thought the blood was 2,000 years ago. Now, already I, I, in pre-service I prayed. Now the, the team know why I prayed for receptive hearts, okay? <laughs> because this might just uh, challenge a little bit of your thinking, but it's okay. Uh, you'll be all right. And if you don't want to agree with me, that's also fine. But uh, just sit tight and listen. So we pray about the blood of Christ. We, we plead the blood of Christ over people. Maybe you don't, but some Christians do. Um, if you go into Roman Catholic churches, there's, there's weird things. There's, they say it's a, a droplet of Mary's breast milk. Okay? That's the, what they have in that, that chapel. Or Thomas's finger, a piece of Thomas's finger, and then that's what they have. Or, or a little bit of the blood of Jesus. They say if you find... I think all the pieces of wood throughout the world that people claim are part of the cross, then you can actually go to the moon, I think. Like that's how much the wood people have gathered. This, this is part of the cross of Christ. Okay? So you see, all of that is, it's natural things that people try to spiritualize. Now I want to ask you just about the blood of Christ this morning. We pray the blood over people. We cover people with the blood. And I just think it's a little bit weird. I'm not saying that Christ did not die on the cross. I'm not saying that He did not bleed out. I'm not saying that the blood of Christ was not poured out for us. It was, 100% it was. But that was the carnal. Because blood is where? It's in the carnal, it's in the flesh. Blood is not in the spirit. 
but it is representative of something spiritual. Okay, so this is where we're going this morning. Because 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says, We regard no one according to the flesh, the carnal, meat and blood. We once regarded Christ according to that, but thus we regard Him, we regard Him thus no more. So we are not about the body of Jesus, the flesh of Jesus, the muscle, nor are we about the blood of Jesus, but we are not regarding that, but we need to understand what happened there so we know what the spiritual reality is and the spiritual truth and what the shedding of the blood and the offering of the body of Christ did for us. Amen? Does that help anyone? We need to understand that. So then, I don't want to pray the blood of Christ over someone if the blood actually represents something else. Then I'd rather pray over them the true reality, not the typography, not the analogy, not the, not the shadow, but the substance again. So that's a little bit of what we're going to share this morning. So my conclusion, I'll start with a conclusion. Isn't that good? And then we'll, that's my hypothesis. That's a big word. Huh? We're in a student town, so I can use those words. My hypothesis is that the blood of Christ is the life of Christ. Okay? So I rather pray the life of Christ over someone than the blood of Christ. Technically, it's the same thing. The one is just the shadow and the one is the substance. Okay? And from Scripture, I want to show you how I get to that conclusion. So now, you know the end from the beginning. Like Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, no one could know the end from the beginning, but now we know the end from the beginning because the end from the beginning is Christ. Christ is the beginning He's the end. He's the first. He's the last. He's the alpha. He's the omega. So you know more than Solomon did. Huh? Think about that. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live before Jesus, writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and he says, no man can understand the end from the beginning. And now we have the Holy Spirit who showed us the end from the beginning. And I can give you many verses, including in Revelation, where it says Jesus is the end and the beginning. Jesus is the first and the last. So now we understand... What Solomon didn't. You see, we downplay ourselves. We have more than we think. I wondered where this is going to come in, and I don't think it will be this early. Second Samuel, verse 23, chapter 23. We're not going to go there right now. But guys, guys, if you don't know that chapter, you're missing out. I mean, it's talking about a guy who went and killed two lion-like giants from the tribe of Moab. He just went in and he killed two lion-like warriors. Okay? It says of another guy, he walked into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion there. I mean, it's just like, this is like, this is like manly stuff. This is like, on a snowy day, he bumps into a lion in a pit. What are you doing in the pit, man? Why is it snowy? Why are you there? But there's a lion. I'm just going to kill the lion. I mean, they're like, Rrr. and then the ladies read this and they're like, sure. He might have often dark as him, huh? Like was it the tikvangerkis, and we have aircon, and we sit in our nice cars, and it's comfortable, and we can't even sweat a little. Like, but you know what? We've got more than they had. Because I don't know about you, if I read the end of Hebrews 11, it says they without us did not receive the perfection, but now we have the fullness of Christ. Amen. So when I read a chapter like that, I'm like, wow, that's awesome, but I've got more. I've got something spiritual. I've got the completeness of God, the fullness of Christ now living in a body. So we're going back to the blood of Christ. 
is the life of Christ. And Leviticus 17 and verse 10 says that whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn or stay or walk with you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay, so this is the Old Testament law that says you are not allowed to eat blood. And then he gives us a reason. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Yesterday I had a very nice medium. I ordered medium, but I got medium rare steak. Okay? There was a little bit of blood in there. And I'm so lucky that I'm not under this covenant, so I didn't have to send it back to get it well done. I could enjoy the moisture and the juicy steak with a nice peppercorn sauce and, and, and some nice sweet potato fries. And, and I was not condemned for having it because I no longer live under this covenant. But there's something in this covenant that God wants to convey to us. There's something in this covenant that God wants to speak to us because this is shadows. So when I see shadows, I go look for substance. When I see natural, I look for supernatural. When I see carnal, I look for spiritual. And that's really how you should interpret the Bible. So why God? Why this? So it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul, not for your spirit. The offering of Jesus is not to appease God. The offering of the body and the blood of Christ was for you and, my, and me to appease our own souls, for our minds, our consciences, to say, there was an offering so I can receive the payment. There was an offering so I can make peace that my sins are covered. It's not that God needed it. Okay, that's a whole different sermon and I'm just throwing one rock into that bush. It is for your soul. That's what the word says. And we say the ones who win souls is wise, but we're not just soul, we are spirit, soul, and body. So our eternal life is not in our souls. We read the Bible and we think we're saving souls. Saving souls is if you're getting someone out of depression, you're saving a soul. You need to give them the spiritual life. Your soul only lives forever because your spirit receives Christ. Again, okay? how does that happen? Because the life of Christ was poured out the blood of Christ was poured out. Amen? But that was a spiritual offering. A carnal offering. But there's a spiritual truth. There's a spiritual reality. So that unlocked the kingdom for us. And I'm going to show you quickly just how that works. Okay, so the life of the flesh is in the blood. So now think about it. You are a good Jew. Not today, but 2,000 years ago. And you know Leviticus 17. And you know that you're not supposed to eat any blood. Okay? Because why? The life is in the blood. Now there's a guy, a rabbi from Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Egypt and Nazareth. And now he comes up on the scene in John 6. And Jesus in verse 53 says to them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Handbrake. What's wrong with this guy? Don't, don't he, doesn't he know Leviticus? Where does he come from? Blasphemy. No one should eat blood. Now he says, my flesh and my blood. Carnival. No. What is it? Cannibal. 
Hannibal the cannibal. You can see why this is offensive. We don't understand this completely because we haven't grown up under Leviticus 17 and other laws that says you're not allowed to eat blood. Now, Jesus doesn't only say, eat my flesh. He says, drink my blood. Why? Because the life of the blood, of the flesh, is in the blood. Now, obviously, Jesus is not going to start cutting off pieces of him, put it on a braai, and give you some blood to eat it. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? So, in, in verses like this, we understand that there is a, a symbolism, if you will. But then, what is the actual implication? And then, how do we eat his flesh? And how do we drink his blood? Because he says, if we don't do that, we will have no part in him. You have no life in you. There you have it. So where does Jesus come up with these ideas? Leviticus 17. The life is in the blood. Now he says, if you do not drink my blood, you have no life in you. So they understand where he comes from, but it's super offensive. Because no one should eat the life of the blood because there's life. The thing is, you don't drink the blood of an animal because you don't want the life of the animal. But now there's a spiritual truth. The life is still in the blood. And now Christ offers himself, and now the life is in the blood. I said to you earlier, my hypothesis is that the life of Christ is the blood of Christ. And here he says that if you don't drink my blood, you don't have my life. Okay. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath what? Eternal life. Now, who of us here have eternal life? Oh, sure. I'm sure. I've got eternal life. If you're not sure, let's speak afterwards. Who of you have literally taken of the blood of Jesus and drank it. Now, how can you have eternal life? According to John 6. You see, you, I don't want to eat the flesh of Jesus, and neither do I want to drink his blood, so this must be something, symbolism. But then in other things, we don't want to go into the second dimension, if you will. We want to say, no, but no, 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 no. This is what Jesus said. Yes, well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, eat my, bre- eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So, you have to be open to the spiritual interpretation. And how do we get spiritual imp- implementation or interpretation? We get it in the Word. Nowhere else, please. <laughs> if you don't get it in the Word, you don't get it. Amen? For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. But it says, I have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me, or because of me. Verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven. So the whole context of John 6 is very interesting. It speaks about manna. And now he's taking from manna, and he's taking it into flesh and blood. So the whole idea is, and the, the challenge that the Pharisees and Jesus are having at the standoff, really, is, I am the manna. I am the bread from heaven. And they say, no, but the fathers had bread from heaven, and that was manna. And Jesus says, come on, guys, it's not about the manna, it's about the spiritual reality. There's a bread from heaven. Now Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And now he takes it further and he says, you need to eat me. Why? Because I'm the bread of life. What is manna? This is awesome. Manna means, what is this? So Jordan has uh, started to speak a few English words of late, and uh, it's very, very sweet. He picks up something and says, what is what is this? What is this? Huh? That's exactly what the Israelites did when they pick, picked up the manna. They said, what is this? And that's literally what manna means. What is this? And now what is this is the mystery of the bread from heaven. 
And now we are no longer living in the mystery, but the mystery has been revealed because Colossians 1 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory, which is, by the way, the mystery which was hidden for ages and generations, but has now been made manifest unto those who believe. So Jesus wasn't manna, but manna was foreshadowing the bread from heaven, Christ to come. Amen? And guess what? It wasn't stale, it was sweet. It was sweet as honey. Amen? So Jesus didn't just come and say, not a bread. He's He's life-giving. He's nourishing. It's refreshing. It's fresh every day. It's there every morning. Amen? He says in verse uh, 57, As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me, or because of me. That is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna. Manna was... Showing something to come. Manna was a shadow, even though you could touch it. But the spiritual truth, the reality, the substance is Christ. And how many times Christians get caught up in the shadows? You know why? Because in the kingdom of God, the shadow is often the thing you can touch. And the substance is the thing you can't see. That's, a, that's worth writing down. <laughs> because the shadow is carnal in the kingdom it is what i can taste see touch smell feel but it's a shadow you can't touch my shadow but in the truth of the word the things we touch see hear smell and feel is often the shadow because we don't walk by sight but by faith by heart belief so whenever there's something in, in christianity that we can taste see smell touch feel we must definitely ask ourselves, is this a shadow or is this the substance? Because even the manna, which is amazing, which was caught up in a jar in the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus says, this is not it, guys. There was a, a, a rod, the rod of, uh, I think it's Aaron, that budded. And it didn't even only have leaves. Overnight, it grew almonds, flowers, almond, fruit. That's a sign of resurrection, new life. Fruitfulness in the Spirit. It's all the covenant of Jesus. It's all there. But that is not the substance. That is the shadow foreshadowing what the substance is to come. So the whole of the Old Testament is so full of Jesus, but there's some things we get to, we, 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 we sort of hang on to. And especially if Jesus refers to them. It's coming out very different than I thought. Especially if Jesus spoke about it. So Jesus said, eat my blood and drink my flesh. I'm just saying that. So what is the interpretation of what Christ has said? And he is having this conversation with people who know the Lord better than you and I do. He says, but not as your fathers did eat manna. Why? Because they are dead. So the manna cannot be eternal life because your fathers are not here. They're dead. So there has to be something better than manna. Amen? Which didn't just sustain for the day, but now sustains unto everlasting life. And Jesus said, if you drink my blood, if you eat my flesh, you will have everlasting life. And it says, by me. I love that. Not by you. Not by your works. By him. He is the one. He is the life giver. And when you receive that life, he lives in you. Look at verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue. <laughs> just to add some, uh, some impetus there. I'm sure Leviticus 17 was on a scroll somewhere on the wall. Don't eat the blood. He's like, guys, eat my blood. Drink my blood. Eat my flesh. 
Why? Because that is the true meaning of the Old Testament. That's what was foreshadowed. As he taught in the Capernaum, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Amen? That blessed me. <laughs> I highlighted hard saying because of late there's been a few hard sayings, difficult to understand. Um, the, the, the psalmist, and I think Psalm 78 speaks about dark sayings. And it's not evil, it is that which is not enlightened yet. Or dark sayings of old means this is the story of the Old Testament, but it's still dark. When we shine the light of Christ on it, we see, wow, that's Jesus. We see, wow, that is the truth, that is the eternity, that's the gospel. Now listen to this. Many therefore of his disciples say, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples had murmured, he said unto them, do this offend you? <laughs> I love it. He's not patting them. He says, does this offend you? Seems like it. You're murmuring. Tell me, are you offended? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? He says, what then? Are you going to be offended then? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Whatever you can do in the flesh profits nothing. It's a spiritual truth. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the blood of Christ was there for a reason. So that he could be poured out so that we can now enter from the carnal into the spiritual. But now we don't live by the blood of Christ. We live by the words of Christ. Because the words of Christ are spirit and they are truth. And why do we get the spirit of God? Because the life of Christ was poured out. And when he went, he took back the authority. He went up into heaven and he poured out the spirit on what? All flesh. His life poured out for us. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible, you can add perishable. Perishable. You know what perishing is? It's like when you put something in the sun and it disappears. You don't know why. It becomes dust. And you know you bought the wrong thing. <laughs> it's just, it's weird. Like this, uh, one of Jordan's toys, like a trampoline net. It's literally, the, the cable on the top of the net is disappearing. It's perishing. It's like dust. Like just from the sun. The UV rays are... But the word here says that we are not redeemed with perishable things. It says, but, or, uh, or even silver and gold. So he, he puts silver and gold in the perishable state. Now, if you look at investments around the world, they say when, when things go bad, gold goes up. Why? Because it's not perishable. That's, it's a safe haven. It's boring for investors, but it's safe. Jesus says, no, it's not safe. He says silver and gold is perishable. From your conversation, the word says your, your vain conversation or your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Sounds like Star Wars. He's speaking not to us, though, even though I think it's applicable to a lot of us. Is what is the traditions that you've received from your fathers? In the context here, he's speaking about the law. Okay? 
He's speaking to the Israelites. He says, the things that you've received from your fathers, those are perishable. Those are not going to last. They are corruptible. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ. You see, so I know where we get this. It's in the Word. The precious blood of Christ. But what does the precious blood of Christ bring? It's the life of Christ. So you've been redeemed, you've been quickened, not by, Im- um, by, by perishable things, but by the imperishable. By the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. Precious, there is valuable. That means objectively costly or subjectively honored and esteemed. So I'm like, what is the precious blood of Jesus? There's, a, there's an adjective there that's full of richness and meaning. It means it is, it is valuable, it is costly, it is honored and esteemed. But it also means, in a figurative sense, beloved. It is the beloved blood of Christ. Or it is the blood of the beloved. That's how you can read it. So it is the life of the beloved, the blood of the beloved that was poured out for us. But it was poured out once. Because Hebrews 10 says, one sin offering for all men, for all sin, for all time. So because the blood of Christ was poured out, can I say that we are done with the blood of Christ? But now we live in the spiritual reality, the substance of what happened, and the substance, the eternal truth is the life of Christ is now for us. And it's in the Spirit. Remember I'm saying we, we, we maybe should be less weird and more powerful. More of an understanding. So I'm not saying stop praying the blood of Christ or you're not going to heaven if you pray that. That's fine, you can pray that. I'm just saying, what does it mean? It means the life of Christ. It means eternal life. It means the spiritual life. It means that which is going to last and last and last and last forever. Because we've eaten, we've believed. That what eat my flesh means believe my message. Take it. Adam and Eve did what? What is the sin? Was it because they ate? Why did they eat? Because they first believed the snake, and then they acted on that belief and they ate of the fruit. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we believe in the blood of Christ, meaning we partake of that life, and now we're one with Him, and now we live forever. Because we know... Can I share with you one thing quickly? How I'm dealing with load shedding. Can I tell you that? I'm struggling, but I'm trying. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Be content with what you have. So I celebrate the hours that the lights are on. Amen? I don't, I'm not trying to focus on the lights, that, 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 the hours they're not on. Okay? For us in, in Clutusville, it's 10 hours today <laughs> that we have load shedding. My milk was sour this morning when I made coffee, and I had to make coffee before 6 because it was load shedding at 6. So, uh, but I tried to remind myself... Be content with what you've got. Amen? <laughs> Remember, our hope is not in this world, but uh, I know it's difficult. The precious blood of Christ, the most beloved, dearly honorable, most precious, that blood of Christ is obviously the life of Christ, and that's which was poured out for us. Verse 20 from 1 Peter 1, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So Christ was foreordained, foreordained, shown from what? The beginning, before the foundation of the world. When we open our Bibles, it says, in the beginning. This verse says that Christ was already the plan before you open your Bible. Before Genesis 1 verse 1, before the foundation of the world, Christ was the plan. Now, did Christ have blood? He didn't. 
It was the Word of God according to John 1. But now Hebrews says, A body you prepared for me, a body with flesh and blood, so that I can pour out my blood as you are human beings, son of man, so that we can all go into the spiritual reality. So that we can all deal once and for all with the offerings and the sacrifice and move on into the new system, which is spiritual. How many people are stuck in the old? And they are not living in the fullness of what God has for us. Meaning they're actually stealing, if you will, from what Christ has done. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but now he was manifested. How did he manifest? In a body. So there was a spiritual life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God said, let there be light. And the light, John says, is the life of men. These things get me so excited. But now we see the Old Testament concept that the life is in the blood. So Jesus had to come in the man form, in flesh and blood, so that he could share his life. So that he could pour out the blood, which is then pouring out the life of Christ. But it's done. That's what I'm saying. It's once and for all, according to Hebrews 10. So now when we live, we say, Lord, thank you for the blood, but thank you for your life. Because the blood was shed, I now live in the life of the Spirit. Does that help anyone? Okay. Does that empower you? Okay. It was manifested, became visible. It was invisible, now it's visible. The life of Christ had to exist before the manifestation of the Christ in the body. So the life of Christ was there before the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Before Jesus was born, Christ was already there. 1 Peter 1, 21. Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in our God, or in God. We shared on that a little earlier. Our faith and hope is in God, not in ourselves. Verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again. This is the, this is the crux of the matter. This is why Jesus came. So that we could be born again, not of corruptible. Now, we just come from the word corruptible, and it says perishable. So now we are born again, not of corruptible or perishable seed, but the incorruptible or the imperishable. What is that? It's not the blood of Christ. It's the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So I'm not making light of the blood of Jesus. Please hear me. I'm just saying that was one offering, but now we live in the spiritual reality of what the blood of Christ unlocked for us. I hope that helps. Before you write letters to Shane. <laughs> This is recorded, by the way. So, The Word of God. The blood of Jesus is gone. You can't find it. It was poured out on Golgotha. I don't know about you, like, the last time I bled and, or you, you go hunting, the blood is not there anymore of the animal you slaughtered. It's perishing. But now we are born again by the imperishable, by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. 
Now listen to this. This is amazing. 1 Peter 2, uh, 124, the next verse says, For all flesh is as grass. My grass is reviving with this rain. Amen? It was perishing after winter with the first sun, and now it's revived. It just shows you it's fickle. Like, it's, it's too fickle. Like, you need to put compost, and you need to put fertilizer, and you need to not mow it or mow it enough, and then you need to, to water it. But all flesh is as grass. Isn't our bodies like that? Then you're sick, then you're a little better. Then you try, and then you eat this, and you feel bad, and you eat that, you feel better. It's flesh and grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower therefore falleth away. But, there's a big but there. But the word of the Lord endures forever. So even the flesh of Christ is not the word of Christ. But the word was in the flesh. The flesh is no longer there. 2 Corinthians 5.16 We no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. Why? Because it's with it. But now the truth of who God's Son is is still alive. Amen? But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So we don't preach just the offering of Christ. We preach the life of Christ. We don't just preach the, the offering on Golgotha. No, we preach the spiritual reality of what that ushered in, which is the Spirit poured out. Galatians 3.13 says that cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That's a carnal curse. Amen? Because you have to, be, you have, to have a body to hang on a tree. But it says in verse 14, So that... So Christ was cursed in the flesh so that we could move on from that tree. So that the promise to Abraham, which is the outpouring of the Spirit, could happen, and it has. So he poured out his life in the blood, in the natural, and then he pours out the life of the Spirit in the spiritual. That's the, that's the meaning. So, he says this is the gospel preached. So, Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is really amazing if you read it prophetically about the cross of Christ, the, the, the passion, the crucifixion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, speaks about it so clearly. And if you think about it, it was written hundreds of years before it actually happened. It's so prophetic. It says in verse uh, 30, A seed shall serve him. Okay, I'm skipping the whole crucifixion scene almost. A seed shall serve him. And it shall be counted to the Lord for a generation. Do you get it? The seed is Christ. And because the seed served God, God counts it as a generation. There's no, not just one seed, because the seed laid down his life, there's no a whole tree. And you and I are part of the tree. The seed, I know the New King James and others speak about it's a recounting to generations, and that's there as well. But the, the King James says that the, the seed is now a generation. And then some of the translators go in and says, but we'll also tell the generation about the seed, which is also true. So I, I get both out of that. You can study it out for yourself as well. They shall come and they shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born that he hath done this. Prophetically, there's gospel preaching. The seed came to serve God and we'll tell our generations about the seed and that is now declaring His righteousness unto a people not yet born. Unto Peter. Because when, when, when Psalm 22 was written, I wasn't yet born. So there's a prophecy for you in Psalm 22. That you'll hear about the righteousness of God after the cross because a seed served God. And that seed is Christ according to the Word. 
And now guess what? We can share it from generation to generation. And not only that, now we are part of His generation. We are part of who Christ is. Verse 14, we're going back into Psalm 22. So that's the result of the cross. Now I want to just reverse a little bit back into verse 14. And listen to this. It says, I am poured out like water. This is a prophecy of the cross. Poured out. My blood is poured out. My life is poured out. I am poured out like water. What is life? Water is the source of? Life. And we know blood is in the life. So you can get both there. It's, it's, remember, it's poetic. So he sees something and he needs to describe, David, what he sees. And he, he can only use words. He didn't have animation. Okay, so poetically he's saying, this, this person is pouring out his life as water. Okay? After the flogging, Jesus didn't drip blood. It poured out of him. Literally, poured out of him. His life is poured out. He says, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And thou hast brought me, listen to this, into the dust of death. I love poetry, so I love what this is trying to, to tell us here. Like, Jesus comes into the dust of death. Which speaks about what? It speaks about the carnal man. It speaks about the dust man. It speaks about the dead man. It speaks about the man, the woman, without the Spirit of God. So Jesus became, as one of us, dead as dust, so that we can be as He is, which is what the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Amen? So He became, He poured out the water, He poured out life, He poured out the Spirit. And without the Spirit, we are only water and dust. So when the Spirit leaves and when water is poured out, what is left of you? It's dust. And then you're dead, by the way. <laughs> Do you see it? As dead as dust. For dogs have compassed me, the assembled the wicked have enclosed me. Listen, if you're not sure that this is about the crucifixion, they pierced my hands and my feet. What really blessed me is when David wrote this, crucifixion was not yet invented. It wasn't yet invented. So he couldn't reference anything that he heard of, read in the news, watched on Netflix. This was the Spirit revealing to him how this Messiah is going to die. He says, they, I might tell all my bones meaning I can see them all. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture, my clothing. But be thou not far from me, O Lord. O my strength, hasten to help me. If you, if you don't realize where you are in the Bible, you'll think you're reading a gospel. It's so like, accurate. It's, it's just there. But there's something in there. And we're talking about the pouring out. The pouring out of the blood, the life, the water of, of who God is. So let's, let's close off with 2 Samuel 23. Guys, I'm skipping some of the good stuff. Okay, 
just for time's sake. The man who killed a lion in the pit on a snowy day. I'm, I'm not going there now. Okay, You can go there yourself. But this is... Let's just go there quickly. It's interesting. We always need to, to find context. So right in the beginning of 2 Samuel 23, I'm just going to read verse 1. It says, these are the last words of David. These are the last words of David. Okay, so this is, now we're going to skip a lot of it, but we're going to read some of the last words of King David. At the end of his life, obviously. But he says there, David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. You can see how he prophesied. Is God now, he's proclaiming himself a prophet. At the end of his life, he says, guys, those weren't just poetry. Those are the words of God. In my mouth, in my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God. It is like the light morning of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming, gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. So this is the context. He says, guys, God spoke through me. These are prophetic words. Then we jump to verse 13. And I'm going to read the New Living Translation here. It says, Once, during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephahim. The three who were among the thirty... So you need to get some context. There's three and thirty and mighty men and not so mighty men and more mighty men and all these things. Um, the three who were among the thirty, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet with him there. Okay? So the Philistines are pitched in, in Rephaim, and David is in a cave in Adullam. And now these three guys are coming to speak to him. These three mighty men, or three of his mighty men. Verse 14, David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and the Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Okay, just, we said in context, it's like you're watching a movie and you're panning in, and say, this is David, he's in a cave, and here are the Philistines, and this is Bethlehem, and guess what, it's under siege by the Philistines. Okay, that's the, that's the setting, that's the scene that we are presented with. And David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and the Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Now David remarked longingly to his men. So just in conversation, he is reminiscing, he is thinking of something, and he is thinking of the waters of the well of Bethlehem. Okay? He is just thinking about it, but he cannot go there. Why? Because it's under siege by the Philistines. So the Philistines have, have sieged Bethlehem, so it's, it's out of bounds, it's not accessible. Okay? David remarked longingly, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the water, um, from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. You need to start feeling this already. That someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Who else was born in Bethlehem? 
Who else is the well of life? The wellspring, if you will, of life. And aren't our souls longing for the water of the well of Bethlehem? And guess what? It's not far. It's by the gate. And then John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. So when you find Christ, you find what you've been looking for. With a longing heart, David says, Oh, if I could only have some of the waters of the well of Bethlehem. I'm not sure if he knew how prophetic that statement was. Maybe he did. But our souls, our bodies yearn, long for the waters of the well of Bethlehem. Guess what? It's not far. It's it's by the gate. So let's read on. Verse 16. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. He didn't ask for it, but they just wanted to be nice. I mean, they, say, they, they, they realized we can really bless our leader, our king, if we give him some of this water. So what they do is they risk their lives. They go, it's unnecessary, you know? It's unnecessary. It's not needed. He's got water. He just doesn't have that water. They risk their lives. They, they probably kill some guys in battle. To do what? To go behind enemy lines and draw water from the well of Bethlehem. And not only do they go and drink it, they bring it back. So they need to come through the line of the enemy again. And they bring it to David. And this is where everything comes together this morning. So David will not drink it. But he pours it out to the Lord. Think about the most, the thirstiest you've ever been in your life. And someone brings you an ice, ice, ice. I mean like slush puppy cold Coca-Cola. And you take it and you open it. And you pour it out. As a drink offering. This is more than that. Because we need to ask ourselves why. Why did he do this? And verse 17 gives us a little bit of information. It says, the Lord forbid that I drink this. He says, but Lord, David, how? God didn't speak and say, you shall not drink of the waters of the well of Bethlehem. Did he? He said, no, you should not drink blood. He actually quotes or references Leviticus 17. He says, because these, this, this water from the waters of the well of Bethlehem now represents the blood of the three mighty men who risked their lives for me to get this. Okay, so the life is in the blood. The water is the source of life. You need to study this out. But this, when, when, when I went through all my preparation... And the last cross-reference took me back to Leviticus 17. I just sat there. I was like, wow. God, this is amazing. He says, this, is this not the blood of the men? What? The water. It represents now they who risk their lives. This water now represents their blood because the life is in the blood. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. 
Let's take one step back. What does this mean for us? Jesus becomes as one of us. Thirsty, hungry, tired, weary. Actually, he goes in John 4 and he meets a woman at a well. Because he's tired. He wants to rest a bit. And he speaks a lot about the water that he gives. That's not in the pit, by the way. But something else. Isn't David the Beloved a picture of Jesus? And then we have three mighty men that goes behind enemy lines to draw water from the well. The Father, the Son, the Spirit goes behind enemy lines and draws water from the well which is now the well of salvation and comes back from behind enemy lines where they defeated the enemy and brings it all the way back and Jesus ascends into heaven and he says this is not for me only and he pours out the spirit onto the dust of me and you as a worship offering water from the well of Bethlehem unto the dead dust of man and the spirit is not only ascended but on the day of Pentecost the spirit is poured out and you and I are no longer dust but we are alive with God forever his blood was poured out for us. His life was poured out for us. So that His Spirit could be poured out on us. Not for us. On us, in us, through us. I'm stating again. The life of God was in the blood of Christ. So we don't need to pray the blood when we can speak the life. The Spirit is alive in you and me. And David didn't know necessarily what he prophesied. But that is the Gospel in 2 Samuel 23. And you and I are the beneficiaries of the waters of the well of Bethlehem, which is now Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Let's pray. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.